There was a time about ten years ago or thereabouts when Tanisha and I were having a really hard time in uh, South Africa. As I said earlier, we've been there 20 years. And it was an incredible privilege and inspiration to be there for the transition and to have the extraordinary example courageous example, healing example, challenging example of Mr. Mandela as our leader. We didn't plan it, but uh, Tennis and I ended up getting involved in community engagement projects as well as our Dharma retreat work. We had set up some projects around uh, responding to the HIV AIDS pandemic, helping train up uh, community health care workers to go into the most impoverished rural areas to try to be of assistance. And about 10 years ago, I mean, we've had many challenges there, but about 10 years ago we had uh, one of our projects, uh, we had a major betrayal in it one of the uh, people we didn't trusted. This was actually a white person, but that we didn't trusted to help uh, run the project. Basically, hijacked it uh, for his own selfish personal gain, and and it caused extraordinary damage, splitting harm that also ended up uh, really harming the the multitude of people that we were hoping to help in the Zulu community. So that was very difficult. It almost destroyed us. In fact, this this energy that took over this uh, this person, who uh, I thought was a good friend, had a curious effect of just almost taking us out, destroying us. Our work in South Africa. We realized we, we really needed to pause and take stock just to survive. And Tanisra knew she needed to go to a, 
healing environment and uh, so she went off to south west of England to study Buddhist-based psychotherapy and get her master's degree in a very wonderful environment at the Karuna Institute. And um, I just stayed on the land of this ancient sacred mountain that we were mysteriously drawn to. And we closed the regular activities of the center, but I just did a long retreat sitting on that mountain. And a passage that I memorized, a short passage from the Buddha, was the... I returned to again and again for my contemplation. It's very beautiful. It's it's in the Dhammapada. But I love the Pali and and the English. But please bear with me and just listen to the to the sounds as well as the meaning. Akase padang nati samanonati bahire papancha birata pacha nippapancha tathagata akase padang nati samanonati bahire sankara sasatanati nati buttanang injitang It means there are no footprints in the sky. You won't find the sage out there. Worldly beings delight in papancha. Buddhas delight in the ending of that. There are no footprints in the sky. You won't find the sage out there. There are no permanent conditioned things. Buddhas never waver. Beautiful teaching to contemplate. Why are there no footprints in the sky? Because it's empty. You might get a cloud, menacing storm, but it comes and goes. Lightning flash comes and goes. Swarming Amazing migrating butterflies that come and pass through flocks of birds. No footprints because it's groundless. Things keep dissolving. You won't find the sage out there. When Tanisha and I were encountering some of these deep challenges, I mean, Ajahn Chah, gosh, wish we could ask Ajahn Chah, Master Wah, he's passed on, 
Sometimes we even squeezing Kuan Yin for an answer. Come on, Kuan Yin, I've been waiting all day. Something wrong with your server? I've been sending faxes, emails, texts. Actually, she says to me, is something wrong with your server? <laughs> you won't find the sage out there. Sometimes we so want the, the, the wise one, the one that really knows. The, the right place when we really get to, and then, then, then we'll be able to work it out. Pancha birata paja. Worldly people. This is ordinary beings when they are so hypnotized and mesmerized by the world and have forgotten the depth, the mysterious spiritual depth of our lives. We all can relate to that in ourselves, in our world. Worldly people delight in papancha. All this complication, proliferation, the precious stuff, the sacred stuff, the, the stuff we don't want, mine, yours. Buddha's delight in the ending of that. There are no footprints in the sky. You won't find the sage out there. There are no eternal condition things. Buddhas never waver. So when I was dealing with this, I can't believe, I mean, how could we, we, we trusted him, we, we gave him all that and... He did this and he did that and look at the effect it's had on those good people. And trying just to watch all the proliferation, the wanting answers. Sankara Sasatanati, there are no eternal conditioned things. Just to start to touch in that mood, the how could, how could, how could, start to see the change. Start to get perspective. In the mountain. And I had a, did have a secret. Um, personal trainer, four-legged one, who was uh, a master. And we would go walking up the mountain, and as I step at a time and returning to the holy name, 
feeling that ground and the name come and go and, and the rage and the hurt and the confusion coming and going and it's climbing, climbing, climbing and then just turning around and Jack, our beloved dog, and I would just pause and look in the, the space. Start to get things in perspective. Look down at our little house where I could stay in the room and get all tangled up in that proliferation. And it's not that there wasn't real issues there. But it became everything obsessive. That bubble that seemed like the whole ocean from the Sharangama Sutra, not realizing that it's a bubble that pops. It just even touching into that, no eternal conditioned things, letting the holy name give us space that comes and goes, and noticing the changing nature of the <coughs> mood. And yes, it helped to have a friend, somebody that no matter what was happening, he was happy to see me. Okay, that was it. <laughs> Of course, I know you, some of you might get envious and he not only was personal trainer but he was head of reception because he was so skilled at loving and welcoming and he was vice chairman of the secret school subcommittee. <laughs> I'm not at liberty to talk about that because it was very secret. So, I, But anyway to that climbing up and getting into perspective and getting all wound up and then noticing how excited Jack was just to smell something, just to see something, just to look and walk, helping me remember, reconnect to this ground of breath and vitality, and presence, and measureless, sky-like nature. You won't find the sage out there. Wherever we think it is, it keeps dissolving. It's here. This is the sacred crown. Yes, we're fortunate to have teachers and friends. But at uh, some point it's so important that we look at the mind that keeps putting it out there and realizing that out there in here keeps dissolving into the timeless, eternal, here, now, sacred ground. Why do Buddhas never waver? When the Buddhas, the awakened ones, see the ever-changing actuality of things going well. 
it's like that vapor trail in the sky. And then things go badly, not like we want. It's so easy to get so excited when they go well and devastated when they don't. But as we ripen in the Dharma, we realize that's the nature that the praise and blame and success and failure and feeling good and not so good is just as natural as the dawn and the dusk and the heat and the cool and the waxing moon and the waning moon. We start to get that perspective on the changing nature. We return, return to this measureless, spacious ground. And we start to hold much more cautiously language that so tells us it's good, it's bad. Once a great saint, Ramdas's teacher, Neem Kroli Baba, who's a Tanishnai, very inspired by Maharaji, Neem Kroli Baba, once for a few days he just uh, went around his ashram going, too much, too much, too much, too much, too little, too little, too little, too little, too big, too big, too big, too big, too small, too small, too small, too small, too much, too much, too much, too much, too little, too little, too little, too big, too big, too big, too big. They thought, God, he's losing it. And that's what we do. That's papancha. It's objectification, the, the pinning things down. And language is important, but we, when we start to practice the path of nipapancha, returning the hearing, learning to let the words finish and also reveal the measureless silence around them, and then we start to realize the words can't capture it. The Buddha said all conditions are like dreams, illusions, bubbles, shadows, like dewdrops in a lightning flash. Contemplate them thus. A dewdrop seems in the morning with my personal trainer when we would go out and he would read the news, smelling who'd been there and who'd come, who went. He got a lot of information. And I would see the trillions of incredible dewdrops on the revealing the myriad spider webs in the early dawn. And the dewdrops on the grasses, like jewels. In the mind, yes, they're, 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 they're precious. But as the sun rises and the temperature shifts, they disappear. We call them dewdrops, but they're not separate. They're in an ever-changing, dynamic relationship with everything around it. Yet language goes and says, you know, it's there, it's gone. Oh, there it is. No, it isn't. Argue about it. Therefore, the, the Buddha said this Dharma, this reality cannot be described. Words 
fall silent before it. We give ourselves opportunities to more and more savor that silence, minding the gap between thoughts, getting in perspective our addiction to categories and naming and categorizing and complexity, not trashing it, but also appreciating the incredible simplicity of just being with something. Without figuring it out, having to label it. Knowing that ever-changing nature and that if you try to grasp it, as the Buddha said, is like a hand grasping air, the Buddha doesn't do that anymore. So they don't waver. He unshakably abides. We waver. But we have some incredible tools In these few days, we've had the chance to contemplate the power of a sacred name to help stabilize us. I remember these past few years, uh, though Dad died, um, January 13th, 2015, for about five years or so before that, Tanisha and I spent a lot, many, many months I spent a lot of time with him in our Tennessee home that Dad, Mom and Dad built 60-some-odd years ago because he wanted to die at home. And so I wanted to help him fulfill that wish. And so for quite a few months at a time, I would uh, be with him when he was declining the house, his body was declining, the house was declining a bit. And uh, he was, when he finally died, I guess he was 98. But, you know, I, I'm not a great cook. I, I was trying to do cooking and keep track of the medicines and hospice was coming in a few days a week to help, but then the medicines are complicated and I was noticing some were having side effects and trying to help him work it out and and he had a lot of pain so I was just working through it with him and I mean it sounds like a crazy example but there was a, a situation when you're 98 years old your toenails change go through a lifetime of toenails just to prepare you. <laughs> he had these incredibly thick toenails. I mean, you know, they were like, and, and, and I mean like, wow. And they, they were huge, and, and they were hurting him. And the hospice nurses wouldn't touch it because, you know, if you try to clip them, you get these cracks and then the infections, and they just wouldn't, 
you know, unless you bring in some specialist and uh, Dad didn't uh, want, want to bring in. He says, yeah, you can do it, Kitty Sorrow. Please, Kitty Sorrow, don't, don't bring anybody in, please. You can do it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Lord. But we, we kept these incredible hours, and so in the middle of the night, he'd be in his chair, and I'd see these incredible toenails. And, you know, I was over my head, because I am not, have not been trained, and I had all these incredible clickers and files, and, and I just said, over to you, Kuan Yin. And just holding the name, holding the name and all my feelings and not sure and just one little bit at a time, one little bit at a time. And, and I wasn't thinking anything else. Just let the word come and go and it was just like... <laughs> and it gave, it made Dad so happy and there were several of these sessions. And uh, just in the course of being together through all kinds of hours and through all his ailments and this and that and pains and holding the name and massaging his feet and it was magic. And we ended up getting so close. I always respected him as an awesome force of nature and phenomenon. But he was powerful. And just what happened through those months and years of uh, being together and in, in all his most intimate challenges, and he getting to where he really appreciated the power of what would happen when I would hold his feet and meditate. These pains would just go away. And when I would chant, and I just felt uh, very, very grateful to have that uh, opportunity. So sometimes we can have big challenges, but there can be, you know, can be grace in them. When we're tangled up in papancha, we, we so give it a fixed label. Oh, it's impossible, it's terrible. Ajahn Chah's way of stopping the proliferating mind is when his mind would tell him something, he would go, my name. My name means not certain. And his mind would say, oh, this is wonderful. And he'd go, my neck. No, no, it's wonderful. He wasn't crushing it, but just notice when we so fix it. When we learn not to be so preoccupied with our labels and go to the silence, then sometimes something mysterious can happen. And the holy name, though it's a name, can help us also go to the silence. It's also a tool not only for linking with Kuan Yin's and the Buddha's measureless grace, but because we let the name come and go, we can rest, get a feeling for those spaces in between where we're not 
categorizing, and then the walls of the mind can shatter. (laughs) And we find ourselves in that sky-like, ever-present, sacred ground again. You won't find the sage out there. Watch, if we're wanting to put the real special stuff out there. It's here. The Buddha said, Etang santang etang padidang Etang panitang Yadidang sabasankara sammato Sabupati padinisago Tanhakkayo varago nirodo nibbanang This, he said, is peaceful. He's talking about this, the truth of this right here now. This is sublime. That is to say the calming of our sankara. Sankara is when we create something with that labeling and then we, we create it as a mine, yours, it's bad. The calming of it means when we realize it's actually changing and not solid, it shatters. That's the calming of sankhara. Sabupati palinisako. What that leads to is giving back. Because that root of beginningless birth and death is through this papancha and thinking there's all this stuff that's me, mine, we hold our bit and we keep them from getting it or start thinking they've got it maybe we start getting contentious letting go and giving back the fading the cessation of creating birth and death Nibbana opening to the possibility of the sacred right here. One of my favorite things in our monastic life, even though I was, wasn't that well, one thing that would really get me well, and that later on I found out in Africa when I had my trusty personal trainer, but in monastic life, uh, when I was abbot of the monastery, every year we would uh, go out on tudong, which means to shake off. If you, like if you see a bird that's wet or something from the rain, it'll shake off really beautifully. And it means you leave the monastery, oftentimes after the rains retreat when you have to stay put, you go wandering. And so you shake off your attachment to all your special little things and special little places. And you, when we would go out for three weeks a month, uh, we wouldn't know where we're going to stay. You wouldn't necessarily know what the meal is going to be or not. And so we would, uh, one year I walked from our monastery, me and my attendant monk in postulance, we walked from the Devon Vahar down to Plymouth. And then one year we walked up to Somerset to Bath, one year to Sussex. I mean, you know, eight miles a day 
or so. And you would, uh, if you met someone near the end of the day, you'd say, excuse me, we're pilgrims, uh, monks on pilgrimage, walking pilgrimage. Do you know of a place we might be allowed just to camp overnight? And sometimes they would say, no. But oftentimes they would say, oh, you're, you're Buddhist monks. I'm, what, what, stay in our barn. And do you have anything to eat? So anyway, magic like that happens. So one day, which year was that? That was one, I can't remember which one. But we were walking, and we were walking on lanes, country lanes, with our backpack, so we had to have a, a sleeping bag, and my robes. I think there was me and another monk and a couple of... We were in our brown robes and then a few postulants in, in white. And we were walking along in the early morning and I suspect, I can't remember exactly, but I'm pretty sure I was holding Kuan Yin's name because when you walk slowly, it's very rhythmic and just, just letting a name come and go, enjoying the hedgerows go by. And... Um, No one was tired, the, the sensations. And why it was so wonderful is that circulation of the energy and the blood and the chi was just so good for my health. And the simplicity of just breathing and walking. Anyway, we're just walking along, minding our own, own business. And um, on this small little lane, and then as we're Walking along, and I'm holding the mantra, and there's a path off to the left, little footpath, but there's a little lane kept going. And there I was, and suddenly a presence tapped me on the head, invisible presence, tapped me on the head and say, go to the right. Okay, so um, so as we're going along, uh, um, I, I said, you know, let's go this way, let's stay on this lane. And then my assistant monk, who's a very dear soul, uh, I think his name, it was Venerable Atapemo, and he had the map and everything. He said, excuse me, Venerable, but look, there's two sides of the triangle there. And, you know, you're going there, there. That's two sides. Why don't we, because we're heading that way, we should, we should take the, we should take the, um, the footpath. Venerable. And, you know, I could have said, but I didn't. Uh, well, no, someone just tapped me on the head <laughs> and told me to go right. And he was so, I mean, he's, he was such a dear attendant and very keen, and he, you know, he, he knew the maps. And so I said, okay. And so we go down that path, and we didn't get 20 yards when, and I didn't see them before, but suddenly they appeared in the field out of nowhere. Some guy with a backpack and sprayer, and he just kind of shouted out, 
from a few hundred meters away. Wouldn't come this way if I were you. I said, Venerable, I think we better go back. Okay, okay. So we go back and we go down, back to the lane and walking along. I don't know how long, another hour or something. But then up ahead on the lane, on the right-hand side, there's an old man upright but tottering a bit. And he had this thing like a bullhorn that he was holding. He was just standing there looking down the road at us. So, you know, four of us, we, we kept walking. As I got closer, you know, he was kind of tottering a little bit and he had his thing. And now I think it was some old kind of thing, big thing to help him hear. And, and so as I got close, then he said, The Lord Buddha. was enlightened under the Bodhi tree. And he walked a kasi. To bang the drum of the Dharma and open the doors to the death. Welcome. <laughs> and he opened his gate, and there on his lawn were all these tables and tea on fine chinas and treats. And his daughter was there, and she said, he, he's 80 today. And he's probably not going to live much longer. He was in Burma. He's a colonel with the Gurkhas. And met Buddhist monks. And he showed me his prayer wheels. Oh, muddy put me on. He was so thrilled to see us. And we were sweaty and this and that, but we were received like royalty. And it turns out, early in the morning, I'd forgotten it, while we're on that little lane, she was driving the car and drove him by, and he said, those are Buddhist monks. Do you think they'll come by the cottage? She says, I, I, I don't know. She says, but they might come by the cottage. They had it all laid out. And we spent a few hours there looking at all his pictures. Magic.
it's been magic being here these days with you all. Culminating in that uh, wonderful ceremony today. And just encouraging us to treasure these, this dharma. Treasure the practices, the holy name, the mantras. Start or continue to return the hearing and get a feeling for that unshakable samadhi of opening up to the ever-present ground, sacred ground. The dust will dance. That's what it does, up and down and coming and going and feeling good and not good, and that's what things happen. But getting a feeling for what remains, that sacred ground that is always here, giving ourselves opportunities to not deny what's going on, but to go to a place where we're not telling ourselves so much. Like when I didn't know what to do about this and that and the medicines and mm-hmm, just letting the name get me to relax and then all the doubts when she's holding them, not making anything of it, and then there can be an alchemy, something unexpected. A way forward reveals itself. No footprints in the sky. We can be afraid of emptiness. We can think, oh, you know, emptiness, especially like when I was growing up, the biggest put-down of somebody. I mean, you know, this is like a talk about getting slammed. You know, they've got no personality. I'm sorry, they just don't have any personality. And you know, so, you know, you think of, my God, where are we heading with this path? And you know, you know, you can kind of think, oh yeah, 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 she... She broke through on that retreat. I, I remember. I remember. She cracked it. Yeah, she doesn't say much now. No, she's she's sitting there. Yeah, yeah, she's, she's looking pretty peaceful, though she she don't say much. And we can kind of imagine, God, am I going to be an enlightened doorknob? <laughs> you know, oh my God. You know, where is this going to take? And Ajahn Chah was really beautiful. He encouraged us not to be afraid of emptiness. He said that, you know, we're really like a bell. 
like this. That's what we're like. But, you know, sometimes we can, for being really efficient, we can see that gong and that is... I mean, I haven't seen a suggestion box at BCBS, but I'm sure there is one, but, uh, you know, that bell, there's a lot of space there. I mean, we can think, oh, well, I can... To be nice, neat, and tidy, gosh, I can keep my jacket in the bell. Passion ceremony and gotta have my clock. And in fact, I have to have another clock in case this one doesn't work. Sometimes they set two alarms. Okay. Sometimes we have, we got all these, we're preparing for everything, and then, you know, we're ready to have, and then something happens. And <laughs> clunk. And we're so full of contingencies and plans and, 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 and this and if that, if that happens and that. And it's not that it's... But we can be so full up. And you know, we're, we can be afraid of emptying out in moments. be afraid, but that empty bell maybe just looks like it's just sitting there, but, you know, something comes and touches it. It can resonate. We're not so cluttered. Ajahn Chah was the most spontaneous. He could be fierce. He could be tender. He could be hilarious. He could be absolutely rooted, rock solid, grounded, silent as a mountain. Trusting that we can respond. We don't need to be afraid. We can little by little, patiently, keep practicing and just trusting that this path activity keeps breaking up these walls of the mind, revealing that open, sky-like, resonant heart. I encourage us to stay with this practice.
appreciate our extraordinary good fortune. That we have this life, that we have something in us has allowed us to encounter the Dharma, that we've recognized it, that we've been able to make it here to this extraordinary sanctuary, this wonderful sanctuary here. So I feel a lot of uh, joy at the hard work we've done these uh, days together, but uh, really feeling the blessedness of our good fortune. May the blessings of our lives be shared for the welfare of all beings, near, far, seen and unseen, good and bad. May all beings wake up to that ever-present sacred ground where we all merge and realize our deep kinship. that we are one family.
Good night. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.